0: This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit compassion.com/slash above. I love Jim Zorn. I really do. Maybe it's because he's a left-hander. Maybe it's because he marches to his own beat. He always has, and he always will. It's also because he really was one of the first coaches I was ever around that really showed me what it's like to be a husband, to be a dad, to be a follower of Christ and also be a coach. It didn't shape his identity to be an NFL quarterback, an NFL coach, even an NFL head coach. His identity was shaped by his relationship in Christ and his journey in his faith. And it's a remarkable journey. And if you ever spent time around Jim, you know it's gonna be a long conversation. So buckle up, this is the longest podcast yet. I promise you, you're gonna laugh, you're gonna think, he's gonna challenge you, and his humility will shine through and through. What was Jim Zorn's home in Jim Zorn before he got to college?
1: Well, I I grew up with two parents. My mom and my dad got married very young. In fact, the story, Mm -hmm. uh, as the story goes, my dad drove my mom and a couple of friends across the border from California into, I believe it was Prescott, Arizona, They got married and uh, went back home. She went to her house and he went to his house because she had to go to school the next day. They got uh, right before she got out of school. And uh, I don't think anybody knew. College or high school? High school. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, my mom and dad had all three of us siblings before she, when she was, uh, by the time she was 21. Wow. So... Um, my mother's Hungarian, my grandfather, her father and mother were a, uh, a little bit aged. My, my uh, grandmother, uh, had my mom when she was 45. So by the time my mom was 15, you know, she's, uh, you know, they're up in years. My grandfather was, uh, uh an evangelist basically hmm. to Europe, but was in, in Los Angeles, California and, uh, during uh, kind of the war times, they had sent him back and then had to bring him back because he was going to be arrested for uh, preaching the gospel. And um, he was, uh, so he didn't do much here in California uh, or down in California um, after that. Uh, and my mom, I, 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 kinda, I don't think there was a disconnect, but here's what happened. My grandfather died When I was about three years old, my grandmother lived with us. My mother took in my grandmother and she was, they used to speak Hungarian, uh, you know, all the time. And, um, I never really understood,
0: never understood. I don't know if they were arguing or having a conversation. My grandparents did it in Dutch, but it was only when they were angry. That's what (laughs) I think. So that's what I think too.
1: But my grandmother, think about this. I grew up, I have two sisters, and I, have a, I had a grandmother who lived in the next room my whole life. Hmm. And I just thought that was kind of nor- normal life. And I do know that my grandmother was praying. She was kind of a prayer warrior, praying for me and really our family all the time. Were you the oldest? I was the middle kid. So I have a, a sister that's a year older than me and a younger sister that's two years younger than me. So mom gets married while in high school. Yes. After a couple weeks, they had to finally tell because my mom also thought she was pregnant with my her, her first child. So, she you know, they got nervous. That probably wasn't the way to go about uh, long marriage at that particular time. But they never uh, divorced. They My dad worked uh, pretty uh, same job. He worked with General Motors in Southgate, California. And I wouldn't say, at looking back, I don't think they had... The, the kind of parenting skills that I think a lot of young families have today you know' where kid uh, where, where uh, parents are really looking out for their kids and their education mm-hmm. experiences and uh, giving them uh, different types of uh, structure responsibility and structure and and yet my mom, uh, was very you know she was on it she was not gonna let us go down the ro- you know down the road she was gonna keep us in her sight when she was uh, ra- raising us up but she never went to college education wasn't a big thing uh, it was you know you're gonna finish high school and then you're gonna get a job uh, <laughs> mentality I believe was there church was there any structure in that way in the in the home my mom I think was kind of in her mind, burnt out from her father being an evangelist. Hmm. And yet, I remember her telling me, hey, if anybody ever asks you what you are, you tell them you're a Christian. Oh, I didn't know I was. Okay, (laughs) I'll do that. And so that's how that was my introduction to, quote, Christianity. If anybody asks, that's what we are as a family. And it was almost like saying I was, my dad was German, my mother's Hungarian, and we're a Christian family. But Nothing resembled any religion, if you will. Hmm. Um, But so, so it was really, it was really, uh, it's what
0: you said, and that's kind of the depth and width of the experience. You know, it's been fascinating, Jim. Through these podcasts, is John Kitna had not been exposed to the Gospels at all. I mean, at all. Steve Seashack had very little to no experience whatsoever. Were there other families? Was there any introduction to the gospel? Yeah, I think uh, I went to church several times with my mom
1: and dad, but it would be on a, on a, an occasion, an Easter. So the following year, it maybe be Easter again. Mm-hmm. That might be the only time I'd gone with my family, but my mother never kept us from being able to go to church on our own if we wanted to, or with with an friends of theirs. Whether I remember going to a Sunday school. I even got a little badge and a Bible because I had consistent attendance, but I, I can't remember hmm. why I was there. Hmm. You know, I just happened to be there, and I don't know who took me because I was young. I will tell you this: um, when I got into high school, I uh, where I really got interested in pursuing what it really was to to be a Christian, and I always thought I was. A girlfriend of mine dumped me, and she dumped me because I was not a Christian, and she wanted to date a Christian boy. And I was going, no, wait a minute. My mom told me, if anybody ever asks, you tell them you're Christian. So I just thought I, I was, and she she said that she wanted to date a Christian young huh. man. So she went to this club in the Northwest up here. There's a club called Young Life, and it's a great, it's a great uh, way to have students who've never heard anything about anything spiritual to really have a glimpse of this this person of Jesus in a non-threatening way well I went to a club called Campus Life Youth for Christ mm-hmm. but I did it to win her back my girlfriend who dumped me and I'd sit right across from her and I'd have a bible out you know acting like I was in it and I'm looking around to see what you're supposed to do as a Christian kid in high school oh okay and I remember our our uh, leader, our club leader, his name was Don Hildebrand. He really poured into us as high school students and he brought out really interesting topics that we were very much dealing uh with. you know with culture and and with uh the six to late sixties now it's early you know nineteen seventy seventy one and uh I finally understood what at least the New Testament was talking about. Of what true, you know, what becoming a Christian really meant. Mm. And it all had to do with Jesus Christ. And yet, I also understood some verses in there that kind of gave me uncomfortable feelings, you know, this whole idea of believing, this whole idea of becoming a new creation, a new creature in Christ. And I saw some of the religious kids around, and there was no way. I wanted to resemble that, you know. And so it made me a little bit, well, it made me nervous to not look like I was going to be a spiritual fanatic, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did nothing with my faith or or anything, but I I was still going and enjoying. And then we all went to this, uh, this is when Christian rock concerts were starting, and it was through a church down in Southern California called Calvary. Calvary Chapel. All of a sudden, Christian bands started popping up. Love Song, Mustard Seed Faith, The Way. I, I could I could name you five or six, and they had these concerts. And Can then you they, sing me a song. <laughs> yeah, I could, but you wouldn't want me to right now. It would it wouldn't make the cut. <laughs> we went down to the Long Beach Arena, and the band leader said, "Hey, if you would ever want to have a relationship with Christ." Why don't you all come forward? It's the first time I'd ever heard anything like that. Come forward and pray to receive Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that particular time, that's what it meant for me to really become a Christian.
0: Up to that point, this is faith in sports, so up to that point, was there any of a spiritual component or faith component in your sports and activities at all? Uh, I I don't think it was uh, once I was uh,
1: in high school. I felt like uh, I had purpose. Uh, I felt like I was getting better in sport, and I sort of woke up a little bit in my life at that time, and that might have been... This whole idea of making making a decision for Christ also meant purpose for me.
0: And At that point, that's your senior year in high school, and you're going off to college. No, I went to a junior college.
1: I didn't have a chance to go to a, a major college to play football. Uh, I wanted to continue to play football. And earlier I stated, you know, my mom, she just wanted me to go to work. Hey, you're 18 now. Get to work. And I said, well, can I go to a junior college and at least play a couple more years why do you want to play football? You know, you should you should be starting to work. But I did go to school and I I really saw that the direction that I wanted to go was way different than my family could take me. There wasn't anything negative about the f- direction my family was going. It just was not going anywhere. It was this mm-hmm. is who, this is who we are. This is how we live and that's how you should be living the rest of your life and I and I thought you know, because the experience that I was having was much, was much at that time, much broader. Mm. You know, I'd made my own um, my own decision for Christ. I had made my own decision to go to a junior college and play football. And I'd made the decision to work at it. And so I liked kind of that independent, mm. you know, I,
0: I was going to be held accountable for who I was and what I was doing. Were there some defining moments from junior college into college that really shaped? Maybe a couple of them. One, I, I poured myself into learning you know, this newfound
1: faith, and I started understanding where the some of the gaps were, that you can't just tell people you're a, a Christian. This whole idea about believing, what is really believing that Christ lives in you? and uh, that scripture is true that's kind of uh, something that gets mocked all the time because it's it's uh it's been talked about as being a crutch or a weakness you have religion hmm. and uh, i've always bucked the idea of religion and being religious uh, but i do think it's something that people identify that it's the it's one of the words. He's really religious. Why did you buck that? I thought our um, Campus Life Youth for Christ leader did a great job of explaining that it's not about religion. It's about this relationship. And there's a huge difference there because it's not, if it's about Christ, it's about the way that he lived and the things that he taught and the reason he was here in the first place. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, Jesus Christ was a historical figure. The battle rages on about who he is. He rose from the dead. What's (laughs) that all about? Something happened. So uh, through my junior college, I was going to Calvary and I still continue to get better in athletics. And then I got a half scholarship. You're talking about where were some uh, milestones. The very first game I played at Cal Poly Pomona, we played Fresno State University. And that was their opening game, so they were supposed to crush us. Mm. And at the end of the game, we had I was taking a knee, I took a knee, we beat them 14 to seven. And I remember our head football coach sprinting onto the field right up to me, and he said, this was a defining moment for me, he said, you are a great football player. You're a great athlete, you're a great football player, you're gonna be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of a defining moment for me because I'd never really accomplished much athletically. Uh, and I was a junior in college at that time hmm. at Cal Poly because I transferred. That was the first time anybody had really come up and helped define me through this one or two sentence picture. And so I believed him. And I just started playing. Think about this. We had, you know, ditto sheets mimeographs or whatever you know that were hand done for our plays you know guys just drawing things up and working that little ink machine you know (laughs) you know the playbook was an eighth of an inch thick if not if that Mm -hmm. and and yet uh
0: i led the nation in total offense is you're finding that athletic success did mom and dad start to see your vision and say "Whoa, maybe this is his gifting yeah, I don't think they
1: they saw it as a bit of a gift, but they they would say, "Okay, he's he's got one more one more season, and that's it. Then he can go to work." <laughs> uh, my relationship with Christ, they saw me as a as a religious fanatic, uh, a bit, and like Grandpa, I don't know if it was like Grandpa. It was like, "What's going on around here? You know, why are you why are you actually studying the Bible at times? You mm-hmm. know, why do you have to go to another church uh, meeting?" and i'm sure my grandmother who was still alive at that time she was had probably had big smiles on her face going mm. thank you lord that you've you know reached my grandson but my mom and dad did support from the standpoint of going to the games not believing that i could still uh, that i started to do what i was doing mm. and then when i was uh, in my senior year we didn't win many games my junior even though i led the nation in total offense but my uh, senior year we did win some games and I played well again and then got some uh, NFL uh, scouts coming around and I started getting all these letters and I'd show my parents and you know it's just sort of like get over this just Mm -hmm. just don't start buying into this you're going to be really let down Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the one of the uh, themes running through our family my mom Just didn't want a
0: big letdown Mm. for me. Mm.
1: You know, she just wanted it to be okay.
0: Do you think because brown and black, and back to analogy, (laughs) because I think of you, Jim, right, in the years that we've spent, and I love you to death, and you're a visionary, right? I mean, you're a detail guy, obviously, as well, to uh, get to achieve what you did and to play and to coach and be a head coach, but you also have, like, you love to have, I can think of you, you love to have vision. The vision to me, it's more of I'm
1: willing to take the risk of looking embarrassing. To try something new and it happened to me when i started surfing my mom kind of took us to the beach when we were kids and i was always on a raft or a skim board or a belly board body surfing and doing those things and then when i was later when i could drive i bought a surfboard it was kind of an embarrassing it was just a straight pencil looking surfboard You know, somebody dumped it off on me. And that's what I started surfing with. And I'd get up and fall down, get up and fall down. You know, I had really short hair. And at that time, all surfers, all surfer dudes had long hair, right? (laughs) I remember saying, well, if I'm ever going to surf, I just got to stay after it. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the thing. One of the experiences that I've had in my life that actually defined partly my football career. I'm willing to try and take risks to stick my whole self out there and fail so that I could succeed. I think that's that visionary thing you, you're trying to mm-hmm. you're trying to express. I just gotcha. in a little bit different yeah. light,
0: that willingness to risk dressing in funky clothes. Sure. Wearing flip flops of downtown Seattle. Yeah. When Norm Evans would tell you, you don't do that, Jim. Yeah. But I have learned some things too that there's there's an appropriateness mm-hmm. that I was so ignorant about. Give me the biggest do-over. Oh, come, come on. on! We're vulnerable here. So here I'm going. Give to, me the biggest do I'm going to an, an opera
1: night, right? And it's a you know it's the Seattle Symphony. I'm going with my bride, Joy, and I wear a straw cowboy hat at at the opera. Why? Because I could. You know what I mean? What? numbskull would ever walk in with a a straw cowboy hat. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world that I could do that. So there's an appropriate, an inappropriateness, (laughs) and if I could have do-overs
0: like that. So we go back, and at the time, you get a chance to finish your career collegiately, and you get a chance to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and I went to the Dallas Cowboys on purpose. I had several contracts sitting in
1: front of me, and... I knew that Tom Landry was a Christian, or at least he said he was, right? Mm-hmm. And that could have been just like I said I was for all my years. Mm. And then Roger Staubach had professed this religious conviction, conviction to, his, mm-hmm. to, to his life as well. So I said, I'm going to go find out what does it look like to say uh, you're a Christian and be a head football coach? And can you actually be a Christian and play in the NFL? You know, they play on Sunday. You know, it wasn't like you were playing on Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. and then going to church on Sunday. They're playing on Sunday. Uh, so I was going to go see if it was all relevant. Still really immature about everything. And uh, when I showed up, the very first meeting that Tom Landry had with us as uh, Dallas Cowboys, and this is when Randy Randy White was there, number first-round draft choice, and the very first thing he said, hey, I want to tell you about a guy Who's one of my favorite authors of all time? His name is the Apostle Paul, and he's written some really interesting things in this book called the Bible. And he reads this this passage. And was it, he in his suit coat and fedora? No, it was so. F- you know, that's all. That's how you saw him on Sunday. No, he was in his little polyester sh- coaching shorts. You've seen Mike Holmgren in those. You've never seen <laughs> caught me in them. No, nope. uh, sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, but uh yeah he had his he had his t-shirt on he had reading glasses and he didn't have a hat on and he was bald and I'd never seen him without his fedora but then he he got a baseball cap and and put it on mm. and he actually expressed to everybody I'm looking around and I'm thinking this is pretty bold for a head football coach to introduce before he did anything else he kind of introduced mm. this passage that had to do with athletics, about, you know, making your body do what it should, not what it wants to. Hmm. And then he made us, when we got outside, we ran, he said, I want you to read that sign that's uh, down at the end of the football field. We read it, and it it talked about that the body is willing Hmm. to do it hard and go all out, but the mind is not. Hmm. You have to, you have to control your mind. You have to be kind of, you have to kind of master Mm. your mind because your body can do a lot more than you're uh, sometimes willing to do. So did he live up? Yes. And uh, I made the football team. I made the 43 man squad. Think about it back then. We had 43 players, no practice squad and no defined injured reserve. (laughs) So it was Roger Staubach. Roger Staubach the starting quarterback. Now we had 120 players, Brock, before the veterans came in. Wow, 120 players for four weeks before the veteran shows up. Hmm. So they pare it down after those four weeks to uh, 80 players. The veterans come in, all 43 of them. Hmm. Now we have 120 again, hmm. and now we're not. I'm not getting the same reps. Sure, but um, the very first. I can. I'll always remember this. Roger Staubach, very first practice, he seeks me out because he had heard that I'd done pretty well on my conditioning Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And we have to run hundreds after practice on Tom Landry's whistle. And he lines up right next to me every single day of training camp when we're running hundreds and he races me. (laughs) He won't let me win. And I'm a free agent Right, and here's a guy who is Roger Staubach, Mm. and uh, it really spoke to me that he sought me out and he wanted to work hard, and he was going to work as hard as a young rookie who was Mm. uh, undoubtedly not going to make the football team, Mm. but it it just showed me a lot of uh, you know that he was beating his body up, and he found a way. You know what I mean? He found a way to work harder, push himself harder than he really needed to. I mean, he didn't need to run
0: mm-hmm. those sprints very hard, but he was he was super competitive. You said, Jim, you wanted to go to the <clears throat> NFL, and you wanted to see if you could really be a Christian in the NFL. End up going to Dallas and Landry and Roger Staubach, and you're there a year? No, I'm there for th- uh, two or three months. Two or three months. I made the football team. I got to play in, in
1: one preseason game. I was the third quarterback, Roger Staubach, Clint Longley, me. Uh, Our fullback got injured. Not bad enough to put him on an injured reserve, Mm. but they needed a spot. They traded for Preston Pearson Mm. from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they had to cut a player, and they cut me. They stayed with two QBs, which was kind of unheard of at that time, Mm -hmm. but I did stay in the area. They were kind of hiding me out Mm -hmm. legally, Mm -hmm. actually. I got a job with another guy. Uh, Never made it back. Uh, In fact, they went to the Super Bowl that year, but I uh, got a phone call from the Los Angeles Rams, and Chuck Knox was the head coach there. Ken Meyer was the Hmm. uh, quarterback coach there. Hmm. And so I went, and it was James Harris, Ron Jaworski, and I was the third guy. But this was, I mean, here I am, 21 or 22 years old, and this was a little bit of a, a deal going on because I'd go to practice, and then they'd say, Oh, you know, you can leave after practice because the media was going to be out there, and so I, I built up, I built up to practiced all week long, scout team, and did mm-hmm. all this stuff, and then on Sunday I'd be in the stands watching the game. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, so that was the transition from the Cowboys to the Rams, and then the Seahawks the following year in '76 started their program. The but the thing that was so inviting about Tom Landry and following him he was a great leader he sort of lived off the field, in my mind, the same way he lived mm-hmm. on the field. And it showed me that you really can't separate your Christianity. I mean, if you call yourself a Christian, it's not just for Sunday. It really is about lifestyle changes, and that's why it's a relationship and not religion. Uh, the The best thing about Christianity is it's, it's seven days a week, 24-7. And It could be some representing Christ. Mm -hmm. It could be falling on your face Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe representing Christ in in the worst of ways.
0: Success and failure. Yeah. Good and
1: bad. Yes. But the thing that has been so consistent is that Christ is always there with open arms uh, regardless, and we learn, we battle to um, do things right, and I had to um, battle through this uh, this idea of uh, kind of being legalistic. You actually drove by a bar? You didn't even go in, but you drove by it and you felt guilty? You know, that, that kind of a deal. And then I remember being in a bar and how uncomfortable I felt in a bar. And, you know, to hang around with an old lineman, you better bring a beer. Yeah. And I did not get that. Again, I did not get this whole idea of how you... Can uh, mix what's really going on in our culture, in our world, and Christianity. And I would say this that I think sometimes we go too far where you look so much like everybody else nobody even knows mm-hmm. you're a christian
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know maybe sure. when you and sock go at it nobody sure. nobody would ever think that brock <laughs> Heward was this believer yeah right yeah you know because you got to get back in sure. in his face and he's got to get into your face yep. you know yeah or you got to have an opinion and it could be critical Yep. right and gosh christians aren't critical are they mm-hmm. well does that have anything to do with christianity you know well mm-hmm. no uh, uh, Christ was critical. He said, "I want you to live this way." And if you're living this way, uh, you know I, I would call that sin. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes truth is really is hard to hear. And I think those are the things in maturing as a as a Christian.
0: Uh, it's kind of a lifelong process. As you go then from the Rams to the Seahawks, what's mom and grandma and dad now that you've been in the NFL a little bit? Now that you made the Cowboys, they're still in L.A. And remember, it's not like being drafted
1: today you know we didn't have yes not all the pomp and there was no ESPN no. nope uh, they came and watched when I was uh scrimmaging for the Cowboys my my first training camp because you know I was a Dallas Cowboy uh, I still can imagine the look on my mom and dad's face my dad was now he's all in because his son's playing in the NFL and uh, when I got cut I moved back home, and I'm doing the Ram thing, and then when the Seahawks came down, I went to Seattle. So now they're they're really seeing that this NFL thing's going to have mm. some sort of uh speed, but they they did not change their demeanor as far as their mindset. When if my mom came up to Seattle, she felt like uh at times that I was it was like, un, you know, I was living surreal. an unrealistic lifestyle, mm. and I should get my act together and not be such a big shot.
0: Because you bought your you place know. on the water. No. Because you had your convertible. No, I didn't have any cause of that. Because you had your hair flowing long. Oh, well, my hair was definitely flowing. <laughs> <laughs> because you're wearing straw hats to the opera. I <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, think about this, Brock. I remember my mom expecting me, and I did this, expecting me to make breakfast for her Mm-hmm. Uh, on the day I got married, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they woke up and Hey, let's do breakfast. Okay. Right? <laughs> you know, I'll have three, you know, I'll have three eggs and, yeah. <laughs> and I, <yeah. laughs> <That's funny. laughs> and so, you know, it was just kind of like life, life was go- going on as mm-hmm. usual. Now I would say they were proud that I was uh, playing in the NFL mm-hmm. and, uh, but they never asked for anything there were some expectations Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't say they were asking they would never ask me for money or to fly them somewhere here or there there were some expectations of Mm -hmm. paying for things Mm -hmm. because hey i was an nfl player that's right
0: Your relationship at that time—that word—you know—we come back to a few times. How was your relationship with the Lord? As you then transition into a starting quarterback with the Seahawks, and what were some of those shaping moments, or who were those yeah. characters involved in that process? Well, some things I—I I needed to change in my life, and probably needed to
1: change still, you know, faster than than they were coming. This this idea of appropriate maturity—I did not have great relationship skills when it came to uh, girlfriends and things like that I would say uh, because of my Christianity and my my professed faith my outward uh, saying yeah I'm, I'm a Christian I wasn't uh, sleeping around mm-hmm. if you will and I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of living with my girlfriend at that time because you know I just felt like what I was reading in scripture there was sort of a
0: way to do this mm-hmm. with marriage that mm-hmm. god had um, designed um, yeah i want to know the people that helped shape Z- yes. Zorin's legalistic yeah. <laughs> inappropriate maturity at times into the Zorin that, that hey i know today yeah. the, the zoran that you know we watch yeah those shaping moments well those shaping yeah. people
1: i didn't have a lot of people uh influencing me uh at the time but i was doing i was actually doing my own in-depth studies if you will and Mm -hmm. i was i was involved with with different groups and and things of that nature but i would say hutch could get on me in major ways really because uh, we were good friends i allowed him to really speak into my life Mm -hmm. and it was with conviction he would do it in loving ways but also that that voice inflection that you knew hutch had asking questions always Always asking questions more than telling me
0: what I should be doing. Is that what you like to do? You like to do that? Is that where that came from? The uh, genesis well, of some of that?
1: Well, some of it,
0: yeah, some of it. I like to probe. I like, but I am. I do it
1: because I'm really interested. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing like for Hutch. It was to get a point across, mm. and all, and then have me standing out there naked, uh, going, <laughs> "Yes, you're right." Okay, which you said you uh, didn't mind being no. embarrassed. So. And then uh, <laughs> having this friendship with Steve who was a Christian when he had come in mm. uh, and then being involved with PAO pro athlete outreach. You mentioned Norm Evans earlier. I started to go to uh, pro athlete outreach conferences before I was married. Mm. And there were, a, there was a lot of um, ways you could see uh, this PAO conference. You've been to several of these as well, yep. and they could give you some foundational Points within Christianity in different topics or different subjects that you could kind of battle with, and you can kind of say, "Is that what the Bible is really saying?" Well, these uh, speakers were top quality, as you as you well know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I was shaped by by pro athletes outreach, and then starting to date Joy was really an interesting time because Joy probably had grown up saying the same thing as I did, but. In, in maybe coming across in a different way I'll have to ask her that that's an interesting point I haven't asked her but we went out on a, a first a kind of a first
0: date Where are you in the league at this point what I'm year? in the
1: league is this is in the 70s this still? is 77 okay right That's how old I am I'm really wow. old. if you were player of the game this one restaurant were giving out free dinners and we didn't make that much money so having a free dinner' ace so I had a date. I took her to this restaurant. And Joy happened to be working her way through college, working at night at this restaurant, going to the UW during the day. And I thought, well, you know, she's nice. And I took a second date there, maybe a couple months later, on another free see, uh, you know, freebie, right? I w- if it's free, it's for me. That's the
0: NFL <laughs> motto, baby.
1: <laughs> so we went out and had dinner, and she saw that I was with another girl, and. I had enjoy was my uh, uh, wait server, tr- server wow. again. So I talked to the owner and I asked, you know, is she married? Does she have a boyfriend? And I guess the way she would say it today, she was on a break from a from a longtime boyfriend. And I asked her out. That's a bold move after bringing yes. in two different <laughs> dates. So think about this. I'm in my Volkswagen <laughs> and we're driving down the freeway. A couple things. One, her roommates had said that I was religious. And she said, if he says anything about religion, I'm out. That was her, her first war cry to herself. So the very first thing I say to her when I get there is how appreciative I was of the Lord that he had spared my brother-in-law who was in a really bad accident. And that was the very first thing I said, but we're driving down the freeway she's a junior in college and we're we're driving to we're going to a home run hitting contest in Tacoma. We're driving down. And she says to me when I get on the freeway, "Of course you know, I'll be paying for the next time if we ever go out again." I'm in the left-hand lane because my Volkswagen's super fast, and I start pulling over, getting this in the very right lane. And I said, "I'm going to take you back home." I said, I'm not taking you out on a date so you can reciprocate financially. I thought I would take you out on a date just to get to know each other. And she just sort of stiffened up and nobody had ever talked to her like that because she was a sociology major and she was involved with equality. You know, most of the guys that she had been dating, she would tell you this, they would say, well, that sounds really good Mm. because they wouldn't want to offend her. And I was taking a risk, if you will. And I remember being really irritated with the education that she was getting. And again, this is my immaturity, okay? It's not like I was super wise about anything. So I call her up and I said, do you have a Bible? As she would state it today, she was scrambling to try to find one. So she gets one. And she I said, I want you to go to a portion of scripture called Ephesians 522. Oh, boy in that verse out of context right it says wives submit yourselves to your husbands in the King James version oh my gosh so she just she just is just beside herself on the phone and I leave her with that I don't do anything else (laughs) I just leave her with that ponder this young maiden (laughs) right (laughs) after this is after our first date you know I wasn't going to date her anymore anyway because she had no no foundation spiritually, and I wanted to be mm-hmm. I wanted to have a, a girlfriend that like my my old girlfriend told me that was a Christian, and so I kept feeding her with these little verses here or there, and I was trying to, and she was irate with it, and I sort of loved that part, you know, that I was getting under her skin. I did not show her Ephesians five twenty one, where it says. Husbands and wives submit to one another because that's reverence for the Lord, you know. And she didn't go back and read verse 21 either. (laughs) All she could see was verse 22. Wow. Right? And so we became friends and um, she then, on her own, decided that she was going to investigate this relationship. She made this, unbeknownst to me, this commitment to Christ. And about a year and a half later, uh, I asked her to marry me and then we were married. Wow. Probably the biggest influence in my life is Joy because she helped me with relationship skills, number one, and she spoke into my life when I was embarrassing myself through immature comments or acts or or whatever. Z-Man, what are you doing? You know, why did you say that to this person? And I used to love, well, I'm just telling it like it is. No tact, no empathy, no compassion, Mm -hmm. just, hey- this is who I am, mm. and that wasn't cutting it in, in, in our relationship. So you've, you've heard me yeah. ramble around a little no. bit with, with the <laughs> Ken Hutcherson's, with the Largent's, and then PAO and Joy. Those were probably major influences, along with other people really loving me uh, and showing me love in all kinds of ways. Mm. I would say today that the, the thread throughout this whole thing is Humility. Because all the time invested that people have invested in me, I'm humbled about because I've not reciprocated the same <laughs> type of wisdom and uh, interest back. you know i've I sort of feel like i've I've taken it all in, and I'm humbled by, what much much do you say have, that
0: was your passion then, as a coach? Because I, I think if I would get Trent Dilfer and Matt Hasselbeck, and I would think if I gathered all of them in a room, be kind of fun little like thirty for thirty. I think all of us would say, "Man, he really did invest back." I enjoyed. I still enjoy the details
1: of the game, and it's it's the detail that helps a kid play well, not look good. Just and there's a difference mm-hmm. there. You know, it's not about just having this. Beautiful form. Oh gosh, did you see the way he released that? Mm-hmm. Uh, because everybody's got their own little way of doing of, of kind of throwing the throwing the ball, but having that persona of being in the huddle, calling that play, walking up the line of scrimmage, and functioning within the you know the seconds that it takes to make a decision, not make a decision. And then come back and do that seventy times, and then be on the sideline and 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 draw your team around you without even trying. But it's just that I feel comfortable because you're playing. Mm. It's that type of a, a feeling that players get mm. uh, around good players. I loved building that, if you will, into the guys that I've that I've coached. Mm. Uh, you you've been you've been a significant part of it. And then the conversations, the real life conversations, and so. I sat, you sat, and I sat in a quarterback meeting room that was the true example of those connections Mm -hmm. between you, Trent, and Matt. I can give stories. I'll give you one story about Matt. Uh, I've never seen a guy, and you probably haven't either, you would agree with me, that could model drawing people together. He would take the rookie who absolutely was not going to make the team. This guy was scouts would call him campers. He's a camper. Camp body. And that would be the guy that would be at Matt's house 12 hours a day sitting on his couch and Sarah, Matt's wife, cooking food and you know all day long and they that wouldn't just be the only guy. Everybody would be coming. There'd be 6 to 8 guys coming over to Matt's house often, you know, after the draft. Uh, all through, all through, leading up to training camp, and then during the season, how much money he spent on just mass food, mm-hmm. but it had to just be tons of dollars because they were there all the time, and that generosity uh, created time. There was nobody ever in a hurry, you know, and it didn't matter when you showed up. It was just an open invitation. He modeled that, Trent. Um, how about Trent? We we can talk about similar things to Trent. He just could relate. He 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 was in your face and all that kind of stuff. But people love Trent because uh Trent was just uh vulnerable. He, he was vulnerable and he created the honest stress of life uh, for himself and for the situation. You know, he was really honest about you know how uncomfortable he felt in this and this is not right and And, but, and it it had to do with football and then you had to say, okay, well, yeah, but this is the way we're going to do it. And, uh, I just remember, you know, Trent, he had the, he had, there's two things I'd say. You know, he was the guy that was most honest, man. I love the way I threw that. He was the guy that we walked into the room one day and he said, okay, I have a new nickname for myself. And I want you guys to call me this for the rest of my days. Uh, I want you to call me doctor. I, am, I I'm am I mean, the doctor. Remember you remember that? that? Yeah. In our meeting room. Okay. <laughs> okay, doctor. You know, and that's what he it was self-proclaimed. He wanted to be the doctor and that was his nickname. And he, that was so, so that was really honest. Right. You know what I mean? One of the things that was probably the most meaningful to all of us in his tenure there, when Trent lost his son, mm-hmm. Trent was the uh, player when the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl that got to go to Disneyland. Hey, where are you going after the game? I'm going to Disneyland. And what that means is that's Disneyland for life for your family. I mean, it's just really an awesome deal. Mm-hmm. He was at Disneyland one February or March, and his son got the flu. They thought he had the flu. They drove back to Fresno 40 days later uh, through a bacterial Infection in his son, who was four years old at the time, Trevin, he died, and now Trent, what was he going to do? I mean, it was just crisis, and every day, you know, we were praying for Trevin and that entire family, mm-hmm. and when Trevin died, Trent had to come to grips with, do I still play in the NFL or do I take a year off? What will my family do? It's his only son, and he has daughters, but this was his only son. And I'll never forget, you know, Matt and I sitting there without Trent saying, you know, what do we do? And, you know, I think we encourage him to be here because we can support him. And so that's what we did. There were often times when Matt would say, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to say. And the whole idea for me was to interject ideas or thoughts. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't grow up to uh, learn to counsel somebody grieving in this particular manner, and he was sitting in my room every day. So I'd give Matt some suggestions, and Matt, uh, in his own natural way, would just love him up and be there for him and be able to be an ear. And even in our meeting rooms, there would be times when I just have a sense that, you know, this is raw at the particular time, and when does the grieving ever end? It will never end. That's what I realize. Mm-hmm. A, a death in the family, you should never say, I have to put this to rest. I have to move on. You never move on in that kind of a situation. So in that spirit, I would turn off the projector of watching video, quit what we're doing, flip on the light, and I'd say, okay, we need a Trevin story. I want you to give us you know, something that you remember about Trevin that was just awesome or that was difficult. And so we would stop and pause often to let Trent just tell us something to just keep that memory alive. And that helped me mature as a man. And I was way older than they were. Yeah. For me, Brock, it's about not separating your
0: real-life uh, situations with, with football. I think there's coaches that listen to these podcasts. There's coaches' wives. There's sons and daughters that are impacted by their dads or their moms that are coaches and just go-getters. How did you do that? How did did you do that so well, Jim, to be able to have and raise healthy family and healthy daughters that are married and flourishing and have a healthy marriage with joy to this day? And I love seeing you guys together. And I love going to dinner with you and spending time. How would you say, and how would you encourage those to have that relationship that you can be a coach and you can be a dad and you can be a husband? Yeah, Uh, really good question.
1: And um, at times... I can do this and then at times you know it's it's a you know it's all battle but it's being accountable number 1 and self managing I had just a great wife willing to work hard sacrifice and yet my children were also my cho- my children mm-hmm. and there was an expectation of me being a great husband so my children could see what that what that was like or is like and then, because I'm still married to the same woman, mm-hmm. and there's still that expectation—get your act together, Dad—you know that type of deal—in mm. uh, our house. Mm. Uh, so, so that's that's one one part of it. It's just sort of that self self awareness of self management, and then knowing that uh, if I'm going to be a great coach and have a family that is not shriveled up and wondering what family is supposed to look like. Then I can't do other things. Uh, I, I have to really manage my time well. We work, what, 15 hours a day during the season? Did you feel like you were ever not prepared mm-hmm. uh, for a practice or a or a game? Uh, you know, it's a responsibility mm-hmm. and it's an accountability, right? Mm-hmm. And if I would have been sloughing, you guys would have let me know it mm-hmm. in a heartbeat because you guys are, all three of you guys in my room were smart smart, smart and quick and quick to confront Mm -hmm. as well, which I appreciate. Uh, You know, I appreciate the guys because you can tell it like it is just like Mm -hmm. Dilfer or Hasselbeck, you Mm -hmm. know, you guys all did that. There was a guy um, that was great with um, marriage relationships called Gary Smalley. He always had little landmarks, billboard or a street corner or whatever. He'd say, okay, you're almost there. You know, be ready for anything. Mm-hmm. So when you enter into your home, you can be fully there. You're not mm-hmm. going, hey, uh, get me some food. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go watch a, a video again because you're going to go right back. So the balance is, is sticking with the expectations, being accountable to the commitments that you've made. You, did I say I was going to be married? Yep. Did I choose to have children? Yep. Did God say, okay, mm-hmm. uh, you can have some children. So there's there's that uh, accountability and and management of those, the things that you bring into That's and awesome. out of your, your marriage.
0: Can you really be a Christian and be competitive? Can you really be and have this relationship with Christ that Jim's talking about and these others on these podcasts have talked about, and then really just want to beat somebody else? How would you dig into those two yeah. deep questions? Being
1: competitive on the football field You love to see other guys lose. Oh, I loved it. You know, beating the guy deep and, uh, you know, driving down and having them throwing everything at you and you just go down and score. How about that? Now, you know, I never got to go to the Super Bowl as a player, but as a coach. And yes, I love that, uh, the the competitiveness. I think win or lose, you got to be able to move forward, Mm -hmm. win or lose. And being competitive also means you have to deal with failure. When I went to Washington, I had seven years with Mike Holmgren. Tenacious competitor, very well prepared in how he was going to manage the team, manage the program, and very consistent with it. Uh, That taught me a lot. And he's a believer. And he could be as tough as nails, but when he's around his bride of so many years, Kathy, He's he's a husband. He's tender. You know he understands. You know kind of where he's at. So uh, was he was he different? Well, yeah. He's not going to treat Kathy like she's an offensive lineman. But you know he's going to be tender. And as a head coach, uh, I felt like I was in my element there Mm -hmm. in Washington. Now I had some some interesting circumstances as well. You know, there's all kinds of stories in that. I never felt out of place. I never felt like. I had to compromise my faith as a head football coach. When I was uh, the head coach of the Washington Redskins, one of my coaches, uh, Joe Bugle, his daughter died of cancer right in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I going to do? I'm the head coach. I got to I got to deal with this with our football team. So, you know, I would just say, hey, if you're a praying man, would you guys mind praying with me for Joe and his family right now? They're going through difficult times. Mm-hmm. I wasn't uh, trying to evangelize them. I was just saying, you know, if you're a praying man, pray. If you're not, Mm. let's just show show some respect for Joe Bugle and his loss. Mm. And the same thing with Chris Samuels, my left tackle, had a big party at his house right in the middle of the season on a day off. And a girl, uh, his wife's best friend of high school, college, she, she ran into a tree on a quad runner. Uh, mm. his quad runner, mm. uh, on their property and killed herself. She did, she went out expressly against what his rules were, mm. and she couldn't stop the machine, ran into a tree, and uh, she died right there on the spot. And now, what am I supposed to do as a head coach? Um, you have to you have You're to supposed to walk that. what you believe. Yes, yes. And um, so all of those experiences... Have, have been uh, showing me that there's real life going on, on the football field, off the football field, and in, in everybody's own home.
0: And you can't separate your Christianity from any of it, and nor does God want you to. After you were let go in Washington, a couple former teammates, right? Chris Cooley and Clinton Portis and those guys say, yeah, Jim really forced his beliefs on us and he really favored the christians or he really you know his spirituality really affected our team did that hurt oh it, it definitely hurt because it wasn't it wasn't true
1: i lived out my faith but clinton portis was the leading rusher uh i he uh his comment was that he that i wanted to play all all christians mm-hmm. but he was the he was a running back and chris cooley was an all pro tight end awesome player and uh, yeah, they they know. I mean, they know. I, I mean, it, it hurt from, uh, from just them saying it, but it didn't, I mean, I didn't try to call you and say, you got to get me on, you got to get me on ESP and I got to refute that. I got to defend that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to defend anything. That's right. Because they already know. And they know that relationship. Oh yeah. You know, I tried to give my best for them and it wasn't about uh, evangelizing them. It was just all of us. At the time that we spent together, it was about playing football. Mm-hmm. It was about winning. And uh, and then when we had times where real life was happening, we had to deal with real life situations. Every coach has to do that. Mm-hmm. And every player truly has to do that. And the ones that maybe have some things going on on the side here or there, they feel like they need to say how things could have been different. Mm-hmm. But... When you look back, uh, a lot of times the circumstances, you have to deal with the circumstances right as they come up. You can't deal with,
0: you know, uh, you can have ways that you'd like to deal with it, but every circumstance is so different. What about Jim Zorn now? What about Steve Largent now? What about their faith now is a 60-year-old as a coach, is doing what you're doing now, and yeah. maybe feeling like I'd still love to coach and get back in the NFL, yeah. and now that you're a grandparent, yeah. and now that you enjoy just walking through life in different circumstances than you did, and all these wonderful years with all these stories. Sure. But what about the struggles now with Jim Zorn? What about the relationship with Christ now for Jim Zorn? I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. You're right. I haven't necessarily, like, present tense. A lot of it is always looking back. And I love hearing your story. I feel like I learned about you today, you know, so much. But what about the present tense, Jim Zorn, and his relationship with Christ today, and the hurdles you're jumping over, through, and around now? It's ongoing, right? Uh, You know, I know areas that I still need,
1: unfortunately, still need to mature. and And I always, and I say this to myself, Jim. You're 64 years old. Why would you scream because you broke this piece of wood? Well, it's just a piece of wood, for gosh sakes. You know, yet you are freaking out. You know, I sort of have an intensity competitiveness that I want everything to be right. But if I break a tool or I cut myself or, you know, I'm doing something and it just didn't. It's a 10-minute project. I can make any 10-minute project into an hour and a half easily. because of all the stuff that I do wrong and it's just an it's almost a comedy show and I say to myself you're 60 some years old grow up please you know it's stuff like that right <laughs> but i would say the 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 thing that um, i'm i've been a you know since my senior year in high school i've had this relationship with christ and he has not changed a bit I keep hearing the same things from him, right? Just in deeper ways now, because I, I feel like he wants to call me Z-Man now and say, Z-Man, would you please get this? And uh, <laughs> some things I have gotten, <laughs> and uh, some things, you know, I'm still growing. But then there's, uh, you know, the thing is about this relationship. We're all we're growing as we grow older. Some things aren't as important as mm-hmm. they used to be, and some things are far more important than they used to be and uh and for you those are for me my relationship with my wife has not changed still very important she still speaks into my life the things that i've learned is my lack of relationship skills you know i'm still learning how to be Mm -hmm. better if you will (laughs) In relationship skills you know and the big big thing that I've I've kind of learned in the, in my marriage is empathy I've appreciated all the work that joy has done with our girls I mean and and my son I mean honestly she has been pretty awesome and you know you know joy uh, you know a lot of people like her far more than they like me most most people because she's she's just the real deal she has no malice for anybody she really has a this this heart and i just can't i can't grab it you know for myself mm-hmm. like it's in her you mm-hmm. know because uh, i can complain and moan and groan and i really appreciate my relationship with her and it's the empathy that putting myself in her shoes mm. needs to rise up and then my uh mature you know i have matured in some things you know where i i kind of feel like well uh people don't realize that i'm not retired Uh, But I may be retired and don't know it. And I still love to coach. I still feel like I can have influence. And yet, as time goes on, I get it. You know, people want to do it a a certain way. And they want a a, a guy that can sprint around. And and I can't sprint anymore. Mm. But I'm always going to be likely teaching and coaching. Uh, My whole deal is when to turn
0: it off. You know, because not everybody wants to be coached all the way through life. Well, please do me a favor. Don't stop coaching (laughs) and don't stop teaching and don't stop being and living who you are. It's authentic. People want authenticity. I appreciate you saying that, talking about authenticity, because uh, you guys
1: uh, were an example of it for me. That's Mm -hmm. really what I'm trying to say, all you guys in my room. And it really helped me to uh, continue on and not whine about what I don't, receive or what I don't, what I can't do, but be grateful for the relationships, for the opportunities that I have had.